What's up, this is Beef Jones, and on this episode of Mining Diamonds, Jim Nakia and I sit with James Beard award-winning chef, TV personality and author J.J. Johnson to talk to him about his journey from namesake to enterprise. Chef J.J. has come a long way from being the self-proclaimed worst student in culinary school. After spending some time working in the kitchens of various New York restaurants and corporate dining rooms, J.J. was presented with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to travel to Ghana with the renowned chef, and it was here in Ghana he found himself and his calling. As I was in Ghana, I would be eating food and be like, yo, this is super familiar. Why is this? Like, I've never been here before. You know, I, my dad is African-American, my mom is Puerto Rican and Caribbean, so this house of the diaspora, I grew up with all these crazy flavors, so I started to this like clicking in my brain of food started to come back to me from like childhood or familiarity but when I left there it was like the ancestors gave me these marching orders to cook food of the diaspora to look mm. through the West African lens upon returning from Ghana Johnson became the executive chef at the famed Minton's Jazz Club in Harlem but he had bigger plans for himself and in 2019 he opened his first restaurant called Field Trip on Lenox Avenue the one and only Rice Bowl Shop and Fast Casual Restaurant in Harlem. Our slogan is Rice's Culture, and it's an affordable eatery for the community. What I call for you, like good for you, like good for you food. And when I started looking at the landscape of black and brown communities, I started to see that everything is either finger licking good, fried, McDonald's, you know, big brands. But nobody in the, nobody that looks like us has food that they can actually feel good about after they eat. Now, if you ever lived in Harlem or traveled to Harlem, you would understand why Chef JJ chose Harlem as his home base. Harlem is forever lit. Harlem is a neighborhood rich with a history of African-American restaurants whose chefs and proprietors have become famous for their food, like Sylvia Wood, known as the queen of soul food, and Richard Dickey Wells, known as Mr. Harlem, who developed the now world-famous chicken and waffles combo. These are many in a long line of Harlem namesakes. And it's an impressive list. I mean, you got Tilly's Chicken Shack and Gladys Bentley's and Edith Clam House and Amy Roof's, Copeland's, M&G, other notable namesakes that make up this collective of Harlem entrepreneurs. Like most of us, JJ had no idea that within one year opening field trip, he'd have to shift his business model to accommodate a new and frequent changes brought on by the worldwide pandemic. He also didn't know that a simple act of kindness, like delivering rice bowls to frontline workers in the local community, would lead to an opportunity to expand. On this episode, Chef JJ shares with us the lessons learned opening a restaurant and the value of networking and mentorship while leading your team through uncertainty and growth. With the recent announcement of new funding, Chef JJ plans on opening six to eight additional locations over the next four years throughout New York City and other surrounding areas, as well as introducing his own line of packaged sauces for retail sale. Continuing in the tradition of black food entrepreneurs turning their names into viable businesses, Chef JJ proves that while he has big shoes to fill, my man might just have bigger feet. This is Mining Diamonds. My name is Jim Jones. We in the building. 
If you want to learn about business, you want to learn about uh, financial literacy, uh, generational wealth, this is what we're here to uh, project and promote. Um, what more would you What more would you want to know about life? Then how to get money. Then how to get money. And that's that's how really to keep good. money. How to keep money. How to grow the money. How to grow the money. That's it. Not how to get the money. It's, it's easy to get the money. It's harder to keep the money. That's what they say, right? And it's also difficult to grow the money. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's even harder. I got a million dollars. I think I spent it all in one month when I first got my first million. Really? Yeah. In one month? Something like that. What'd you what did buy? you buy? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> Do you have anything? From what? From that, that first, first million? That, no. Nothing? I mean, maybe some of the jewelry I may have brought, but like none of the cars and none of the surplus things that I was buying and spending money on. And I was like, was like at $100,000 a month in bills and things like that. I was living way beyond my means at one point in life but it felt good oh I wouldn't trade it for the world would good. you do it all over again no never again not like that but I think I think when you get a lot of because I did I went through that phase too like when you start getting big checks and you're like I know I should cut <laughs> <laughs> I know I need to give Uncle Sam this cut but Miami's calling me <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot of different variables when it comes to you being responsible with money and right. what people don't know when you don't have it the way you want it you tend to learn how to budget and be responsible so that you can meet all the quotas when you have it a lot of it all that seems to go out the window mm, yeah true you know Resp- financial responsibility some you know it's it's taught you know, it's learned. It's learned, not it's taught. Learned. But this yeah, is learned. phrase. For us in our culture. Yeah. This yeah. is phrase. It's like scared money don't make money, right? So, yes. like, how do you, diff- you know, how do you, like, budget conscious as opposed to just being scared with the money? No, nah, I think budgeting and being scared don't got nothing to do with scared money or make money. Like, you got to budget. You dig? Now, when it comes to investing and taking a risk with the money you have, that's where that whole saying comes in, scared money don't make money. That comes from the dice game. Right. You dig? When there's yep. money in the bank and you penny pension with these bets on the side, they stop the bank. Scared money don't make money. That's me. The first time I went to um, Vegas, I was playing like... Penny <laughs> <laughs> <Any> slots. <laughs> the slots, you know, <laughs> the slots. And my coworker, he came out. And I'm like, how did you make $400 from the... Like, they have the machines from the elevator to the door. Yeah. And he was like, Yo, I just made $400. I was like, how? And he was like, you're playing the nickel machines, Nikia. You're not going to make any money. The, uh, the odds differ. Yeah. So Unless you put like a lot of money in there. Exactly, yeah. but... Yeah, I still don't, I don't play the slots. Don't well, play. I'm Beef Jones, you know, and this is Nakia. I'm Nakia Booth. And uh, we're here to drop some gems on you, and we have great guests. But, you know, I really wanted to kind of open this up because, you know, this this past week, you know, I was just run, walking around Harlem, and I found myself in front of Sylvia's, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, and thinking, you know, I walk around Harlem, like, okay, getting inspired by businesses that were long gone or still here, you know. And what I saw, it made me, like, kind of take a second to think about it. And then I went home and did research. And I was like, Sylvia, you know, comes from a long line of, of, of Harlem entrepreneurs in the food service business. You know, like, remember Wells? Yes. 
Wells was the home of the chicken and waffles. Yes. You know? And then you have um, Melba's. And then you have, like, you know, even Marcus Samuelson's Red Rooster. But even before that, you had so many different establishments where the food was something that people loved so much that the chef or the owner of the restaurant became a namesake. Mm-hmm. You know, and looking at Sylvia, she become a beloved, you know, icon in Harlem. It's definitely a staple in Harlem. It's a staple, but she's a brand globally. Mm-hmm. You know, now that her family runs it, you know, like, you know, you could find Sylvia's products in grocery stores nationwide. So That's it's it's dope. It, it's sort of like, you know, and I, I would say that maybe the theme or the feel or, the you know, whatever of this episode is is namesake to enterprise, you know, being able to leverage your name. You know, and then be able to turn it into a venture, you know, uh, a successful venture. And I think our first get our guest, period. We don't have more multiple guests. We have one guest. Uh, our guest today, um, which Nikia will introduce. I think um, I think he speaks to that, that entrepreneurial spirit of like, yeah, I'm doing this. But he's always leveling up and growing, expanding. You're watching it in real time. And I think our conversation with him today is going to be amazing. So I'm really excited to talk to Chef J.J. Johnson. You know, we're going to dig into it because I want to know, obviously, his path to entrepreneurship, you know, how he uh, became inspired to become an entrepreneur, but more importantly, how he was able to start the business, fund the business, and then scale the business. And then obviously any insights he has for all the entrepreneurs out here who are trying to build their businesses, especially in this world that we're living in today with so many changes like every single day. There's something new coming out that not only affects you know, the business owners, but the consumers and how he's able to you know, be nimble, pivot if necessary, Yep. You know, and what lessons he's learned over the past year or so that, you know, we can all glean from and, you know, hopefully use it to to build our businesses. Mm-hmm. So I guess without further ado, we need to uh, bring JJ up to the table. Okay. That's right. Yeah, man, this is this is really great because, you know, like one thing I'm, I'm really interested in is always scale. Oh, wait, we're going live. Okay. We're going live. We're going live. Oh, shit, we live. What's up, people? <laughs> <laughs> what up, what up? Well, you got you can't just say what up, what up. You gotta let them know what you do. You gotta let them know what you What's up, do. Everybody, Chef JJ here. I'm in the building with Jim. Harlem, stand up. And if you in Harlem, we're gonna take you on a field trip. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, he's a he's a professional. Nah. We need, we need the gym. We need the gym love. <laughs> Explain to people what, what field trip is, what kind of restaurant it is, what's your specialty there. Uh, break it down. So field trip is a rice bowl shop. Our slogan is rice is culture. And it's an affordable eatery for the community. What I call for you, like good for you, like good for you food. And when I was cooking at the Cecil, people would come up to me and be like, yo, Jay, can you, I wish this was a little bit cheaper. I wish I could eat here a little bit more. And when I started looking at the landscape of black and brown communities, I started to see that everything is either finger licking good, fried, McDonald's, you know, big brands. But nobody in the, nobody that looks like us has food that they can actually feel good about after they eat it. Right. So, you know, all the grains, all the rice grains in Field Trip are freshly milled from a farm, come directly from the farm. So it's not like, is the brown rice the good rice? All rice is the good rice. Mm. And everything is ethically sourced so that when you leave or you eat the food, you can feel good about yourself. Um, it might be able to help you with your, in your nutrition um, points. But at the end of the day, it's a place that everybody should be able to come in and hang out, 
have a good time or grab food and go. Think of us like a modern day Chipotle. What, what mm. is, because uh, I, 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 I don't know what it is, so I know there's probably a lot of people out there. A rice bowl restaurant, is there something to that? Exactly what is that? Is there a theme to that? Is it like, a, does it it's Japanese? Is it Jamaican? Is it black? Is, or is it all infused? Like, you got to break it down. Now you, 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 you hitting it, right? So like, it, you're literally on a field trip. There's something mm. for everybody. The rice, the rice in the bowl, is taking you on a field trip. So you might get Texas brown rice with, with brisket and spicy black beans, Carolina gold fried rice. You might get sticky coconut rice with, with shrimp and green curry. Uh, you might get crab pockets. Everything is taking you on this adventure. You're on this field trip. So if you've been somewhere before, you're like, ooh, yeah. I like Southeast Asia. You got this sticky rice. Or I want to be in the American South. I have this little crispy chicken and vegetable fried rice. So it, it's familiar but there isn't really a category for, like there isn't a rice bowl shop category. There are places that are bowl shops like Chipotle or Sweet Green or Cava, right? There's right. these bowl shops where people put us under, but there's nothing that is like us where you can say this is the food. It, 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 I'm using rice as the vessel to connect people. Yeah, you got really strong dishes on there. And so, I, I, so rice is the canvas. Rice is the, is the canvas of everything, yeah. That's and like you just said, Jamaica here, like you can go anywhere because rice is culture in, in, in all over the world. Haiti, Jamaica, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. For the food you cook to the food that we're used to. Right. right? So now, even me, I don't. M- m- Chrissy goes to all of the type of fancy restaurants and she has, she loves to eat different. I, I, I'm not with it. Like I'm really, I'm on, still on cheeseburger mode and, and, and things that I'm just used to. Like, you know what I mean? Right. But then you put a restaurant in, in a neighborhood that has a whole different palette from what that neighborhood is used to. How is that making a trans, helping the people make a transition to learn about different foods? I think the biggest thing was like people that were going to Popeyes around the corner, mm-hmm. then came in and was like, "Oh, you got crispy chicken, mm-hmm. and you got and it's just that's just oh you that's fried rice." So the community actually realized that I just needed to bring it back a layer. I was being too chefy, right? Like, we used to talk about sustainability rice and all this crazy stuff. Like, nah, hold on. Just call it vegetable fried rice. And now they love it. And now they love it. Fried rice in the spot. Right, exactly. Not knowing that the grains come fresh. And now, since we've been there, it's like, oh, so where do do you get this rice? Because this ain't the rice that the Chinese spot got. Yeah, it's like the chicken wings and full rice right here. What I realized was was, it's just layers to it where you have to sometimes just be as simple as you can. Mm -hmm. And then as people gain trust... Then you can start layering on the rest of the exactly. stuff. How'd you learn how to cook? I learned how to cook in my grandma's kitchen. Did you, you know? go to school for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I started in my grandma's kitchen. I told my parents at a young age that I was going to be a chef. My mom pulled me to the side and said, black people have been cooking their whole life. You're not cooking. Mm. And we had this big back and forth. And my dad would like pull me to the side and be like, no, live life. Don't live like you could have, should have, would have. And then I finally convinced my mom. I went to culinary school in upstate New York called Culinary Institute of America, which is one of the best culinary schools in the world. I was the worst person in my class, Mm. right? I wanted to quit from time to time. And then I started to work at this restaurant called Tribeca Grill, Mm. which is like this in the prime. I'm sure, you know, most of us have eaten there. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) I started to see what it was like, the feeling of food. I always had the passion for it, but I saw this feeling for it, and I was like, okay, we're doing 1,100 people a day, 1,300 people a day. We're cooking, we're cooking for Diddy. We got all these, the picture of the, the, like, everybody's coming through the doors. Like, how are they doing this? And then I took that and then barreled that up and then kind of went, you know, went back, cooked, 
came back to New York City, worked at a restaurant called Jane on West House in Thompson LaGuardia. Those Great guys, place to party. Yeah, those guys own the Smith yeah. now. And, and I, you know, i just been fortunate through my career to just keep chopping at the block. But what, what, ha- what happened to me was I worked at Morgan Stanley Executive Dining Room. I wanted to leave the corporate structure to go back into the private world, and nobody would give me a job. Why? I have to say because I was black. Mm. Mm. And people would be like, nah, man, you could just be like this mid-level sous chef. I'm like, yo, I got more experience than most people you have in your kitchen. Right. And the Tao group offered me a position. But I went on a cooking show on Bravo called Rocco's Dinner Party. I won my episode, and this gentleman named Alexander Smalls was hit me up and was like, hey, I'm going to Ghana. Do you want to roll with me to Ghana? I didn't really know him. We started chopping it up. And then I went to Ghana, and then I found myself through food. Was, mm. was Alexander Small a chef? Yeah, Alexander Small is a chef, entrepreneur, uh, singer, you know, the whole gambit. Right. Um, and not knowing that his business partner was Dick Parsons, the ex-CEO of Time Warner and Citibank. Wow. Right. Right. So... Uh, when I came back, he goes, hey, we're about to open this restaurant called The Cecil. Do you want to be the chef of Cecil and Minton's? And my, and my dad's from Harlem. He was like, hey, you, you got to do, you it. Gotta you gotta do, do it. that, man. One thing I want to go back is that you said you found yourself in Ghana. And then when you, when you did that, is that where you came with the concept of the rice? It's like, tell me, what, how did you find yourself in what context? And then what, where did you go from there? You know, most people, before I was going to Ghana, would say, hey, when you go there, you're going to find yourself through the slave castles. And I was like, okay. Like, you know, you're really going to get this experience of something like no, like you've never experienced before. Mm -hmm. I never got a chance to get to the slave castles because of traffic. Um, But as I was in Ghana, I would be eating food and be like, yo, this is super familiar. Right. Why does this, like, I've never been here before. You know, my dad is African-American. My mom is Puerto Rican and Caribbean. So this house of the diaspora, I grew up with all these crazy flavors. So I started to, this like clicking in my brain of food started to come back to me from like childhood or familiarity. But when I left there, it was like the ancestors gave me these marching orders to cook food of the diaspora, to look Mm. through the West African lens. Like I wasn't looking at food through like a very Eurocentric lens anymore, which I was taught in school. I was looking through it through this very West African lens. And when I started to travel the world more, cooking in Singapore and Israel and India, when rice comes to the table, everybody gets excited. Mm. Not here. Not here. We like, oh, that's just rice. Yeah. So wait, so you kind of went against the grain, right? Yeah, I went against the grain, yeah. How do, was that scary for you? What was that like? You know, I'm just, a, I'm just that against the grain type of dude. And it just felt right for once. Did you have support in that or you were like, yo, I'm doing it like I'm just going to go at it on my own? Or did you have people encouraging you like, yeah, Jay, you could do this or like what was you know, what was that process like for you to do it? Because a lot of people, you have the tried and true, you know, this is the pathway, but you may have a different idea. And it's kind of scary to step outside the box and do something different. Yeah, I think if you look, if I look back when I went to Ghana, right, it was like I could go to Ghana and cook or I can go work at Tao Group. Mm-hmm. Right, most people say I'm gonna go work at Tao. Right. right, they got the money. I'm gonna get paid good. I was like, right. nah, I'm gonna go to Ghana. It feels right. My mom was like, Chill, you going somewhere? <laughs> like, what you talking about? Yeah, like <laughs> I want to get into about? that because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, you know, their parents make sacrifices, right, and they have this vision of what they want them to do because ultimately they just want them to be successful. They want them to be able to provide for themselves, and the kids are always like, I want to follow my passion. I want to do something else. 
I was going to say the dynamic between your mother and your father is, is, is exactly oh very different but don't get it to when my pops came in the crib he was like yeah 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 listen to your mom like he didn't want to yeah. but you know you ride in the car he's like no I live life like I could have should have would have I don't want you to live life that way so he was always putting that into, into me as a young kid and I still carry that sometimes when I look at stuff but yeah so that was the first big step I took going to Ghana then coming back oh Cooking at the sea, so like like you when you're a culinary when you're in a culinary world, you don't think about cooking in Harlem in a fine dining restaurant, even though we can list them all, right? right. You think about cooking in Tribeca or West Where Village. Where is the Cecil at? The Cecil is on one on one eighteenth in Saint Nicholas. It's not the same Cecil that I cooked in. It's a different place now. So I heard you say that your father was from Harlem. Did you grow up in Harlem? No, I didn't grow up in Harlem. I grew up in the Poconos. My dad didn't want us to grow up in Harlem in the eighties. Dope. Nobody's parents. Your pops, is, your pops is dope. Yeah. Is definitely dope. Why? That he took him out yeah. of Harlem? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the object is to get out the hood. Uh, I mean, not to say it like that. I mean, we always find a comfortable place in Harlem because that's where we're from. But the objective was to make some money and get out of those con- confined environments and do better for your family. And I think that his pops kind of got that in the 80s so that he gave him a better platform to jump off of like I try to do for my son. Now, the culture and everything that comes with being able to navigate through Harlem is is priceless. Right. And do I wish my son had those lessons that I had? Yes. Do I wish he had to go through the risk that I had to to learn those lessons? No. Right. Right. You dig? And at this point in my life and his life, he don't need to learn a lot of those lessons anyway. Because a lot of those lessons were survival. And what I was up against, he's not up against at all. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that's why I was just asking him that because what your father did for you is what I do for my son. Nah, I, I got, I, I got a lot of respect for that because I get it now as I have kids. But, but opening a restaurant in Harlem, because when I came to New York, I lived with my aunt in Lakeview. Mm-hmm. So Harlem became crazy. The second. My, my son's aunt is from Lakeview. She, she, she spent a lot of time in Lakeview too. I'm sure we, we <laughs> yeah, my godparents are good from Lakeview too. <laughs> I'm sure we all know. Man, hot up in the garage, but go ahead. <laughs> yes i live in my aunt in lakeview and then harlem became a second home for me Mm -hmm. i remember my uncle walking me around the streets of harlem saying like all right you don't walk on this block make sure you talk to these people Mm -hmm. and like giving me the education of harlem and then next thing i know i'm cooking in harlem right you know next thing you know i'm opening a business in harlem because i believe without harlem i would never be who i am i would never be chef jj because people in harlem really come out to support me and that's the thing there's the foot traffic and the community in harlem were really kind of like the backbone of many many businesses you know mom and pops and established businesses the thing about harlem is what i don't know if a lot of business owners know if you take care of the community the community community is going to take care of you more than you ever expected. Well, I think you just, you learned nah, that lesson, I mean, I right? learned that one, Jim, like, <laughs> you just, during COVID, you did, everything is falling apart. My wife's a nurse. She comes home one day. She's like, yo, I'm not, we, did you cook anything? Did you bring home, to, home anything from field trip? I'm like, no, but I, it, it's 1.30 in the morning. She left at 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, you didn't eat. She's like, no, the pandemic is killing us. So I sent her and her team some food from Field Trip. And I go, yo, I wonder what Harlem Hospital's like. Like, if she's at this beautiful downtown hospital and they, and, they get, and they not eating, what's going on at Harlem Hospital? So I take it to Twitter. I'm like, anybody know anybody at Harlem Hospital? And they connect me with this woman, Sylvia. She was like, oh, my God, JJ, you, you, if you can bring food for the ER team, we love, love it. So 
I bring 40 bowls, I hand deliver it, mm. and I just go to go back to Twitter and say, I think I did one of the best things in my life. Like I just fed some frontline workers. Next thing I know, people are calling the restaurant like, yo, I'll match you mm. from all over the country. So we start feeding upper Manhattan hospitals, the Bronx, and, and, and it turned into something bigger than I ever envisioned. When you talk about Harlem, right? And then, and then after that, we started feeding people just across the street with farmer's boxes because people were coming in saying, like, yo, I'll work for food. And mm-hmm. I was like, hold on. You don't need to work for no food. Hard. Like, you could take, here, take this bowl. Like, we just, I got food here. Take this. Or calling my produce guy, like, here, drop these boxes off across the street. And it didn't matter if people didn't know where it came from, right? It's like, I just knew what people were going through. No. And now people come in and support us and... And, and that actually led to an expansion because Tishman Spire, one of the largest developers in New York City, called me and said, hey, we see the work you're doing. We have no restaurants in Rockefeller Center. Mm. I'll, 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 we'll build it out for you. Mm. Crazy. That, and that goes to scale. But that's a great... That's, that's, that, they say, well, in, our, in between the, in the diplomat, the number, one do, the number one rule in the diplomat when we started and still to this day, if you're around Cam or Wells or Freaky Ezekiel, we do not deny anybody any food, even the food that I'm eating. If No, yeah. You did? Because I'm going to be able to eat again. And that's always been a rule. Well, this. I mean, that's paid forward in, in a day. sense, period. And, 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 the, um, and the amount of social equity you get back, I mean, like, that's unmeasurable, it's immeasurable. Priceless. It's priceless. It's priceless. Like, you can't put a price on that. You know, what you've done for people is, like, show them that there's real humanity and out you know, here. You, you're never going to want for that. Like it's 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 always gonna beneath it's always gonna be ground beneath your feet every step you take because of the things you do. And in, in Harlem, the community is gonna support you, just like we had on the, the Jim had on the Facetime. You know what I'm saying? His guy black, like he's like you, yeah, we had the crispy you chicken. Lit. You know, we, you, did, you was already lit. Now you extra lit. Like oh, we're gonna you did. No, I appreciate that. It's so community. Before before COVID, were you doing marketing? We, we was doing marketing. We were a new business. We were, we were we were a business on a block where people were like, yo, hold on, what's going on here? Right. Somebody's building a restaurant on this let's, block. But let's explain. Let's explain to him what block you on. <laughs> you are in my neighborhood that I grew up on. You on yes. 115th and 116th on Lenox Avenue. Yes. The project on 115th and Lenox Avenue is called Foster. Correct. Behind that project is called Taft. Behind that project is called Johnson. Behind that project is Jefferson. Yes. Long line of projects right around the corner from your restaurant. Your restaurant is directly across the street from one of the most notorious blood projects. In the world, correct. <laughs> He's like, but yes, I know. To, I just want people to paint the picture of <laughs> no what yeah. Harlem is, because I was telling somebody the other day, like Harlem is still compiled to love, no matter what goes on in it and around it. It's all about the love. So the fact that you put your restaurant in the midst of a lot of love is very commendable. That was important to me. Like when when that landlord of that building or that co-op that building, they called me and were like, "You want to go here." I remember Aunt Jeannie being like, you sure you want to go here? Because like, you know you there's sure you projects go? right there, like, right behind yeah. it, right behind that one. I'm going to have to call a lot of people. Nah, and it's funny you don't because no. you're, you're part of that community. They're going to hold that restaurant down like it's theirs. Like, can't nothing go on in that restaurant. And that's why I love our communities in Harlem. There's a certain type of security that we hold. And you're cor- 100% things. correct. Like, we, 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 the community holds us down. They come in, they check up on us. 
um, it's a blessing. They want to sweep up the front. They want to. They want to make sure you're good. You dig? We'll help you open up. Help you close shop. You dig? We out here if you need anything. I- exactly. So what was that like? Because it wasn't your traditional um, chicken spot. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't in, in soul the be- food. In the beginning, it was it was a battle, right? Because it was like, well, you sure this is black owned? Right. Because yeah. we've seen this before. Were they asking because it was a little bit more upscale? Was it the food offerings? It was like- just a yeah. It was just a little bit nicer than what you you've seen. And for me. For right. me, it was still bare bone. Right. And I'm like, I remember like arguing with people on the street. Like, what you, like you take, I, it, I own the space. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, come in. Nah, nah, we seen this. <laughs> like, why? Because it's nice. Like, you got, you got nice sneakers on. You got diamonds on your neck. You should want nice shit too. Right. And, and a lot of those, those guys will laugh about it today. Or like when they first came in the restaurant, ate the black rice. I remember homie spitting out in the street because he was like, what is this? Wow. Now he comes in and orders a salmon with the pineapple black fry every day because he, was, he wasn't expecting that. He was like, I, was ex- I, didn't, I never had it before, right? So there was these moments of, of struggle. There was these moments of the grit. I want to go back. So you, <clears throat> you, um, you were at Cecil Minton's, right? Right. Mm-hmm. How did you go from Cecil and Minton? Like, what was the inspiration that said, A, or the light bulb or the epiphany moment when you're like, I want my own restaurant? Mm-hmm. Like, walk us through that. Yeah, I worked really, I worked really fucking hard at Cecil. Like, we won Best New Restaurant. I was nominated for a James Beard Award. People, everybody was Congrats, coming to the well, What's that? Called, it's called a Jane, James Beard Award, which is kind of like the Oscars and Grammys of, of the food world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to say that. The James Beard Award. <laughs> Grammys for chefs. I just the learned, I just learned something chefs, new. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I should get that for cooking up. You heard? James <laughs> Beard Award. That's bars. You see how that, that goes? We got to get you that. <laughs> That's it. Put that in bank. <laughs> hold on. And during the process, I said, okay, hold on. I'm working really hard for somebody else. I think it's time for me to take a step back and, and try to really figure this out. And I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I've always done stuff that just never worked. Uh, and I remember going to, to Dick Parsons and saying, hey, it, this is starting to fall apart here. And I'm going to start something. So I just want to show you my investor deck. You think you invest 100000 He was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, this is a guy that could have bankrolled the whole thing. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> For the audience, Dick Parsons is is a, is a, a great black executive mm-hmm. that has been the head of many multinational companies and has been an inspiration. When I was a kid, I'd like have a list of like Ken Chenault, mm-hmm. yep. you know, the former CEO of American Express, Dick Parsons, Time Warner. He know? was he did the Time Warner AOL deal. Yes, right? he did. Yeah. Remember, he took over. Deal. He took over the Clippers when when, when it, right. You know, mm-hmm. and these were like kind of the guys. I was like, I could probably be one of these guys some one someday. You mm-hmm. know, so he's but a yeah, big deal. Big deal. Yeah, and he didn't realize when I was cooking there when I was in those meeting those meetings like sitting there. It was like grad school. It was like business grad school with him. Mm-hmm. He'd be dropping terminology. I'm like, what's this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. The investor group was an amazing investor. It was all his friends. So I would just be sitting there. Yeah, I was there to talk about food costs and what the food was like and what wards we won. But he didn't know that I was sitting there like taking notes. Mm. Spook who's by supposed the door. To. Right. So... I went to him. He said, "Oh yeah, I give you, I give you hundred thousand. I should have probably went to him and said, would you give me a mill?" Right. hundred percent. He so probably thought ask, that in his head. Hold on, let me ask. hundred percent. That's mo- how people like that work. That most people say businesses tend to fail, right? Because they're not properly funded. Correct. So why did you 
go in at was 100k just what you wanted from him or was that the total no well i was i was only raising five hundred thousand dollars which shame on me you just said was never enough money mm-hmm. and especially in the food world you raise for like three months to stay open mm-hmm. i've been telling people in the food world you need to raise like your tech company mm-hmm. at least a year mm-hmm. right yeah. tech company what three five years two to five years two to five so yeah. you should raise at least a year so you because the business is going to shift you don't know your customer and so he said he's gonna give me a hundred thousand. He never invested because we got a bigger investor that wound up. I was doing a residency at Chef's Club, which was on on Mulberry Street, in my interim just to make some money. And the 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 residency took off crazy. And I and actually I I was like okay I got my own hundred thousand now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I don't like, right. I'm a fund user. Yeah, you don't have my, to give up equity or anything like that. You know, keep as much equity. Keep as, as much as I could. Yep. But it was a different conversation. Now it was like, oh hey, I, I'm putting in my own hundred thousand, and do you want to put in two hundred fifty thousand or five or four hundred thousand? But instead, this it's crazy, right? A young Rothschild hmm. is eating at this dinner and goes, JJ, I've been a fan. My family loves you. I didn't know who he was at the time. And says, "Yo, I, w- I want to invest." We can end, it, we can end this <laughs> whole interview right now. <laughs> Young Rob Child. That's it. The interview is over. What did you talk about? A young Rob Child was eating at the, the meat. He went, I mean, he, he spoke crazy. to your food because he, 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 he had a history with you. He he he's hit. like, I'm a fan. I'm My a fan. family loves you. Fire. So he was like, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna invest in a couple things. My family invested in some stuff in Harlem. I feel like I need to. To, to follow that still his dad don't know what they invested in Harlem Harlem the whole Harlem <laughs> the whole Harlem is theirs you don't even know you're buying everything from them right now right like <laughs> the whole thing so he, he wrote he wrote a, a, a good enough he wrote he, he wrote a good enough check and then I had a couple other friends and family investors and that's how I funded it but it was short Mm-hmm. So through the process, at the time, did you know it was short? Like, were you when you got no. that money? Were you were like, ah, I'm good, I made it. I know right? you geeked. I was geeked. Like, I was like, yo, on. I just raised money. Like, it's like to my it's, pops, like, yo, I did it, bro. What's, like, was was that? All right, so I want to ask you something because I know I've, I've been in a lot of situations like that. Was you the reason you asked for that hundred thousand? Because you were scared you didn't want to rock the boat up mm-hmm. for asking for too much money. Yeah, I was. I was scared that I was. I was. I, I was scared that I was going to rock the boat, but I was also being told from people listening to people on the outside, yo, you can't raise five, you can't raise 1.2 million in Harlem for a fast casual restaurant. What what you, pe- like, what, there's nothing else. Crazy. There's nothing else out there like this. What people were telling you that? People, yeah, friends that had restaurants people. down the closest, the closest people. people. Yeah. Now I asked a friend of mine's similar, retardedly rich, like like I, I, will, I don't even want to. I, we won't talk about who he, who they are, but they're probably one of the richest families in the world. So I'm asking them a question because they in, he loves my music, like one of the biggest fans of my music. So, and I'm like, yo, you want to get in business with me to do a record? So I said, it says something like, cost maybe half a million dollars to do a record. He was like, I, 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 he turned around and told me, when you're dealing with people like myself, you need to get a real plan. Because we don't really want to talk to people if they're not willing to ask for 15 million to 20 mm-hmm. million to 25 million. Because then I know that you have a real plan that's really going to make us some money. I can't do nothing at that 
with no. that money you just asked for. So when you just said that, I was like, he was, I was in, I promised myself I will never make that same mistake again. I'd rather a person flat out tell me, no, I can't do that than for me to sell myself short in them situations. No, and, and that's, how, that's how I move now. Like when you talk about expansion and stuff, you're like, okay, I know I can expand Field Trip. The brand is worth this amount. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask for this amount of money. So go back. So you got your you got your five hundred or whatever it was, right? 500. You got your five hundred K. You lit. You like it's about to be born. <laughs> it's funny now, put, right? You put first month, last month deposit down. You forgot about that, right? Right. You got to put not not to say like, our rent is pretty good, right? Oh, hold on. The gas line needs to be updated. I thought y'all said the gas line was good. Right. So you got to get that updated. Uh, you know, oh, oh, the floor plans don't match up to the archi- to what they got at the architect that record. Oh, man. You know, like there was just like one after another. But I'm a hopeful guy. So I kept keeping my hope alive. And also the my the brand JJ, I was doing events, traveling, making money for appearances. So I was just just constantly funneling the money back in and let's not get it twisted my wife was pregnant at that or she was my fiance at that time pregnant with twins lord mm. so like and then i i still don't know how on, this, right? I, she never pressured me it was okay. the craziest thing like she mia was never like yo you better go get a job i think she just knew deep down inside like okay he, he's gonna he's gonna figure, figure this out. out right like he's not gonna f- f- fall short on this like and I'm thankful for that, right? Um, because that pressure could be pressure. But let me ask you. We talk so, about it. So you said you, you already were in, got pressure on yourself in there. Oh, man. <laughs> you were in investment groups. You have a whole peer community of restaurateurs, right? Were people advising you and giving you things to look out for, like pitfalls or, you know, as you start this, pay attention to this, that, and the third? Like, what was your mentorship like? I think, the, I think the CISA was my mentorship, just watching it go up and down, like seeing that. Um, I, I have a couple good friends that own, like my buddy uh, Kamal Grant owns like four donut shops in Atlanta. My buddy Chris Coombs owns like six uh, restaurants in, in Boston. These guys were like, yo, I got you. Like, sh- like hold on, what are you saying? Right. Like, no, you can't do that. Right. So at least I had those those close friends. You had support. I had right. real support, like yeah, real, real homies. Real businesses. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Kind of complement the same business. And also you had, you had a wife who was a partner that saw your vision. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And She's... that always plays a factor in entrepreneurism. Like on the plane, I watched this film called Minari. You've, have you seen it? No, it's I about, It's about a Korean family that moves to Arkansas to start a farm to grow Korean vegetables for Korean uh, immigrants that are coming to America in droves. And he started this farm. It's a father with two kids and a wife and a grandmother who has diabetes and sick. And the whole time he's trying to get this farm up, but his wife wants to leave him. You know, his kid has a heart problem. You know, uh, his grandmother, his mother, like, had diabetes and she was debilitated. And then at the apex of the film, the farm burnt down. Like, right before he got that one plug that was like, I'll buy everything Mm. after all that. And and she wasn't supporting. It was just it was like a, a, the tale of like entrepreneurial support or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. And it, it, or it, why it's so important. Yeah, that's a that's like but a founder's movie. But sometimes people aren't going to support. Like you're close to people might not support you because sometimes your idea is just like. Oh yeah, my ideas are crazy. Like crazy. Like so, I, I go back and look at this video of like Bezo talking about he's selling stuff out of his garage and give me money. And I mean, most of us would be like, you're bugging, man. 
You know, like what you did, and that, like look at it. Somebody, I'm selling books online. Nobody, right. can't, nobody can't see your vision. No, you, you know, got it. And, and then when you get the one person, right? You heard? <laughs> You all right, did? so now, so now we go back. So now you build. You got all these issues, right? Fixing this, and now the money is going faster than you probably, yeah, anticipated. And and, and then the, the restaurant's built. Conrad shows up to turn the gas on. They go, "Oh, yo, your equipment is uh, too much. Gas load is here." <laughs> oh my God! Like, yeah, what do you mean too much? Like, we never heard that before. What do you mean? He's like, yeah, if you if you use the wok. And the stovetop, you're going to take all the gas from the whole building. So we can't turn it on. Oh, shit. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I call, the, I call the equipment company. Equipment company's like, no problem, JJ. We'll swap out the walk. We normally wouldn't do this, but we'll send you a lower grade. You go, you reach into your toolbox and you say, yo, who could get Con Ed back here for you? Because now it's, you know, kind of don't just show no, up. No, no, So I reach in the toolbox, call in a favor. They call somebody. I get an email that says, oh, we'll be out in a couple of days, which turned out to be two weeks. And then I go to the building and says, hey, guys, I know we're supposed to open up six months ago. I can't pay you any more rent right now. Wow. Right? Because that free rent, all that's over. Right. And somehow, some way, we got the doors open. There was still a little bit of money in the bank. And then, you know, you as it was rolling, you, I don't want to go back to investors and be like, hey, guys, give me more money. It was like okay, I could throw ten or five or something here to keep it Build, keep, keep it, it build, yeah. building. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to them when it's time to to scale. Yeah, you know. And uh, some investors are like I don't know how you did it. <laughs> I mean, you really you really went out there and proved your MVP, you know, and 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 your most valuable product, and you put a lot of you bootstrapped as much as you can after getting you know uh, financing and, and investment. And then you you did what a lot of entrepreneurs do. They they brave those risks. Like, that's a risk for you. Major risk. Fiance at home, pregnant with twins. Major bills. At, like, come on. Like, major expense just opening a restaurant in Harlem where your your people close to you said that this is probably the most riskiest thing you could do with investor cash. Like, I... I I'm feeling for you at that moment. Like I, I could just envision you freaking out over over the walk. Like, are you? What do you mean? Like, kind of saying though, you're gonna take all the gas from the building. Yeah, and then you go back to the building. Like, yo, you gave me these specs. Like, you delayed the project. Now, no, I didn't delay the project. You're like, but nah, yo, that was uh, that's what we have on records. Like, well, that doesn't work. So you had all of these issues, right? You was facing all these issues, but you got your restaurant open. What is some? Give me some cheat codes, yo. Give me some cheat codes. Cheat codes. Yes. I don't know if there is a cheat code except get the doors open. By any means necessary. Any means necessary. You got to figure it out. If the gas wasn't coming on, then we're going to go figure out how to cook electric, right? You got to just be constantly thinking. Mm. And you always have to think something's going to go wrong or always looking for what's going to go wrong. Um, That's something I'm constantly doing. Like I'm walking to a restaurant. I'm looking if something is wrong. I'm not thinking anything is right. Because if you do think everything's right, then you're just going through, like, okay, we good. And hopefully one day, yeah, I can walk through, but it's always going to, I'm going to catch something uh, that's wrong. But uh, is there a cheat code? I think the only cheat code I can tell you is raise enough money, more than you think you need, without giving up too much equity. Like, if you think you're going to a 60-40 split, you need to go to 80-20 split, Mm. right? If you think you're doing an 80-20 split, you need to go to 90-10 split, Mm. right? Because as you scale, Mm -hmm. that equity gets... Get squeezed, right? Diluted, super diluted, and you're now you're getting in the game where you might not have that money to to um, that hundred thousand isn't a lot, right? 
You know, yeah, you might be able to exercise your preemptive rights, which means you're going to stay whole from where you were before based off the new uh, evaluation. But, you know, you when you're scaling, you, you're going after big, or you, I'm going after big money. Let's talk about scale, man, because you started a hospitality group, right? And Wait, also, wait, wait. You have to explain what a hospitality group is. Well... Let's let this man explain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, hospitality group is just a co- collective. You know, it could be yourself or a bunch of people that are going to start to manage more than one entity, one more than one restaurant, coming up with collective of ideas to start getting it on the market space. It could be in the licensee business. It could be managing. It can be f- fundraising to do more restaurants or product lines. Um, yeah, when I came out the gate, we came out with a hospitality business. And actually, I've shifted. Uh, the hospitality group now consists of uh, a different entity. It's called like Cooking with JJ. Mm. It's Cooking with JJ. It's like the parent is, is the larger company, and then everything kind of flows underneath. I kind of keep Field Trip by itself now just because I'm in a fundraising phase, and I don't want to get people confused about what I could do. Right. And with Field Trip, like Field Trip's his own star, and I'm a part of that 100%. But the new things don't include Your Field Trip, field right. trip folks. Right. And right. I think a lot of people get lost in that, right? They're like, oh, yeah, no problem. We're going to just keep putting it all together. And then you're giving people money that shouldn't deserve the money. Right. Hmm. Right. Because when I saw that, I was like, wow, it's like, boom, it's like, it's like the nine group. It's like you hear about like the Tao group. You see, they open up casinos, clubs, all these different ventures under this one banner. When I saw that, I was like excited because I was like, and then I also saw that you had two other re- field trip restaurants. Like you said, you know, you met a mysterious Rothschild who said, we love you, been watching you. And that's one thing you need to know is that you never know who is watching ever. You never know. All right. So you got that. And I'm like, wow. So field trip, you know, you're already starting to expand. I was like, I, I, I feel like this is global, national, you know, you know, business. I mean, I think the, the goal. I'm sorry I'm with to put you, the no, pressure I'm, on I'm, I'm with but you. But it, it, it's, it's like I can see it. You're like, okay, you had the wherewithal and the, to be um, sort of a genius move and, and strategize and be like, look, I'm not just going to open a restaurant and have a bunch of shit on, on the menu. I'm going to focus. I'm going to make it rice-based. I'm going to make it culture-based. It's like you really put on your marketing and cap. And I'm going to open it in Harlem. I'm open in Harlem where the foot track is in a love is great. You know, that's a story. It's also a personal connection to your heart. Your father, you know, and the spirit of entrepreneurism is, is so great in Harlem. I mean, we look at statistics right here. Twenty two percent of businesses, African. Tw- we have twenty two percent in the market in New York City. Uh, about two percent of that is, is in, you know, businesses and black businesses. And you could say probably like one point four is, is in Harlem, you know. So the spirit of entrepreneur, entrepreneur spirit is so heavy in Harlem. So you put that all together and so I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, this guy's a master strategist. <laughs> Even if he doesn't know it, yeah, he definitely talks talks way deeper than the chef would. Yeah, and that's what I want to ask you about that, right? Because you have a lot of people who throw down at home, right? You you always got the aunt that bring this dish or whatever they cook. They could cook their ass off. You already know this person, right? How are you able to? speak beyond just cooking and really get into the business right because we all know the restaurant is not just about good food 
No, I mean, I, again, I got to give go back to Dick Parsons. I sat in his grad school for three, right. four years mm. taking notes. So what about these people that don't have the opportunity to sit next to Dick Parsons or, you know, interview Chef JJ? I, 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 I think mentor, men, mentorship. Look, I'm always looking for a mentor in the space. Right. Regardless Even now, of, you're still looking yeah, for mentors. Yeah, 100. Like I, I, I contact, I email Steve Ells, founder of CEO of Chipotle, like once a week. See if he hit me back. Mm. Right. Because when you talk about scalability, right. In the space, I think Field Trip is like 1992 Chipotle when they were like making this rumble in the space, the food space, when nobody was seeing good for you food. So it's like, okay, so who can I talk to? And I talk to a lot of people in the space. Like I'm friends with the Sweet Green guys. I'm friends with. I know the Kava CEO. I would say the biggest person that gives me great advice right now is actually my attorney. Off, all he doesn't charge me for it because Jim looked at me like, yeah, he charge you for that? <laughs> um, who who is in the who who does a lot of chef startups and he has really helped me through on the business side of like making sure I understand this. Like we're not signing this. Read it, highlight it. What's what was some of the like key things that he told you that really helped you well one thing was like intellectual property like the name of like when you start anything don't put the intellectual property within the business like you own the intellectual property you started that that's worth a lot of money so you could raise money on the intellectual property and you could raise money on actually the brick and mortar business break that down that's game so so like for the i'll just use my business field trip for field trip, if I was to do licensee deals, I wouldn't have to include the founding or investor pool. The investor pools would just make money off of brick and mortars because that's all they're investment, investing in. And I can take field trip and put it in airports, put it on roadways, put it internationally, where you license out the name and mm-hmm. somebody else runs it. Not like a franchisee model, mm-hmm. just where you license out very similar. And then I could get all that all that revenue from there and you ain't got to pay it to these people. I don't got to pay it to these people and then when you want to merge this together it creates more value it creates way more value where most people start a business and they're like yeah we got the holding company right and intellectual properties in there and you and all you do is that valuation on that intellectual on that on that entity so then as it grows everybody's benefiting off of everything not to say that that's not what I did I looked at it in a bigger like I'm not a greedy guy Mm-hmm. So I put everything in there, and I'm like, well, if you start, if you started with me, and you right. gave me money, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you, I'm gonna in. put you in with, yeah, right, and and but going through a raise, you start to look at a lot of different things. So yeah, I, I, I educated myself on the business side because I just seen a lot of chefs that didn't don't didn't even own their name that had to mm-hmm. buy back their names, and restaurants we know like. Scarpetta, Scott Conan, Marcus Samuelson had to buy his name back. Mm. Right? Like a restaurant group owns his name. Like, I'm like, that's not happening to me. Right. Right? So I have to make sure I pay attention to the past so that I don't make the same mistakes mistakes in the present. So, uh, but yeah, I I prefer to throw throw down and cook some oxtails or something instead of... Let me how do you, so you can cook. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you make those decisions? Like I'm gonna be honest, the first time I went to your restaurant, right, we got the the rice bowls, me and mm-hmm. my husband we went, I was like, This is really tasty. But I was like, for what I, I don't remember the exact price point it was. But I was like, really for rice, like I could make this at home. 
right? Right. But then I could not make this at home. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried all the time. He'll be like, it's good. It's all right, but it's not. Did like... And you, like, for some reason, I feel like when you're upset, like, you, everybody wants to deal. Everybody wants to hook up. Everybody wants to cheap, right? And you feel like you only want to pay a lot of money if you're downtown, if you're in a fancy restaurant. But the other day, I went to McDonald's with my daughter, and I was just like, wait, how much did I just oh, spend yeah, yeah, in yeah, here? Yeah, McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's is like Ruth Chris prices right it's, now. It's, it's really, like, a little crazy. But that's just minimum wages going up, product, food, food supply food, chain. Supply is chain is all messed up. So right how do you do, like, we just went yesterday, we went to, um, we've got a haircut at Russ's Barbershop. He's somebody that we interviewed on this show, right? So we went, we're like, we're going to support the business. Inflation is up. And, you know, he said, um, they were noting how he hasn't, his prices were so low. And he was like, yeah, I don't really raise my price too much. And so he was like, because I'm more concerned about the community, right? You have a, he was like, I'm thinking about my community right here. I got a single mom. She got four kids. There's no way she's paying $60 real, you know, for, for no. these haircuts. Yeah, but did you got to think of, what I'm saying is cool. I respect that, but everybody's wages went up. I know. Well. Everyone's wages went up. If you have a job. Right. It has to be, where is it at, like $18 or some dumb shit like That's that? 15 minimum wage right now. <clears throat> you see yeah. signs all over. How like, much was minimum wage in 94? I know. When we were coming up, it That's was like $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7. $7.
have you done any other like interesting things to offset costs or things that help you stay afloat like yeah like the paper like the paper bag like okay we're gonna use the bag with the hand there's a big debate right now are we gonna use the bag with the handles are we gonna use the bag that doesn't have the handles the bag with the handles is 18 cents a bag the bag without the handles is three cents Hmm. well and then you know my director of operations like well people are gonna care i'm like well i think they'll be okay i'm watching a lot of bags flowing with no handles on it people don't care about them bags they care about (laughs) what's in the bag bag, yeah especially if i care about the bags in the supermarket they keep trying to ask me if I want paper or plastic. Because <laughs> it costs. What we, want. we want plastic, man. Stop playing with me, man. Yeah, try to, try to take a whole full bag of groceries home and that bottom fall out. Like, you piss. It's like, why the... It'd be like, fuck the planet. The <laughs> fuck the planet, okay? <laughs> so what, what type of things, like what type of trends are you seeing right now in the food business or in the restaurant business not necessarily just like with food, but like technology and things that yeah. are help that are you know popping up that's supporting I, businesses. I think technology before the pandemic, people restaurants weren't even looking at technology. Right. Pandemic hit. I, I, I'll use an example. We used to have on the window scan the menu, digital barcode scan the menu, so you walk by. Right. People were like, I'm not, I'm not scanning the menu. I want paper menu. Right. Now scan the menu. Everybody's like, Yep, thanks. Is, and the pictures pop up it looks nice right so like something but you're seeing it authentically added into restaurants um, was that a learning curve for you no I mean I, I, I've, I've a, a couple of things that I wanted to do early on and we just didn't have the money we still don't have the money for it I'm starting to see pop like text to order like mm-hmm. I saw Taco Bell just buy this company out of Israel for text and to order I'm like that's the future nobody wants to go to POS screen nobody wants to wait in line right. text your order through it comes through so there are some technology things I think we'll even implement but technology is big uh, I plant you know plant based food like the, and when I say plant based I mean like people growing right you not know, processed. Not processed, but people just growing things that chicken that's not chicken. Right. Salmon that's not salmon. You're going to accept cryptocurrency? Uh, we were thinking about it. Mm. Thinking about it. I just, want, I just got to figure out. I, I got to learn more about it. Crypto is the move. Like, um, well, I'm invested in crypto heavy. <laughs> yeah. But um, there's a lot of stores that are starting to take uh, crypto as a form of payment. Because you, on the other side of that payment is you can receive it in crypto or you can receive it in cash. So that's what you need to know. Just because somebody's paying you in crypto don't mean that you're getting paid in crypto. Got you. When they pay you with their crypto, on your side of the register, you can press cash or you can press crypto when you press crypto you put it to whatever crypto wallet you have and wherever you want it to go and shit like that or you could just take the cash and run it like a regular business but by you accepting that form of payment might help you out even a little bit more with getting paid off the crypto when it's quick they got these little kiosks that that that, that you could buy and do it in the restaurant it looks like a cell phone leverage cell phone and things okay. like that same thing they've been doing like with all the dispensary dispensaries now like spend like hell trying to get people to pay for smoking dispensaries and now they're able to actually accept crypto as a form of payment and does the same thing so it's a lot of businesses are going into that wave but crypto in its whole is, is where everything is going i think the dollars will be no more in, in years to come and everything will be you, going you think digital. everything's gonna be digital oh 100 that's natural progression 100%. Like, from, like from beepers to iphones there's no way around it why would we need money anymore you why think we need paper you think you think it it Everybody will still have its own currency, or will it be one universal currency? Oh, as far as in the countries? Yeah. 
Nah, it's definitely going. Every it's definitely going to be still a bunch of different currencies. We still um, got a little time yeah. before that. There's still like you know, United States ain't doing none of that. No, unless you know, we're not going to think about that. <laughs> I'll be long gone by the time that that happens, if that happens, and things like that. But as far as crypto now, people will be a people. A lot of more people will be able to have their own currency. You know, people of influence and businesses of influence will be able to. I mean, now create their own coin and be able to use that coin for for different businesses and shit like that. So, that, and that's what I'm into. That's why I create the capital coin to create my own eco ecosystem by using the community to make the social currency money a real thing and that's what we've been doing you're an innovator you know i think you should th give it it uh you know some further thought yeah i, I gotta i'm gonna hit up jim on the side <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Some, you know i was gonna i was gonna make uh i was gonna get some mining stuff and put it in the bottom of a field trip one time ah, but then your then, then your electricity yeah. costs no, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 that's yeah. way heavy but <laughs> things you can do because you got a field trip you can turn field trip into an NFT or make an NFT out of field trip and that would probably be an elaborate thing for somebody to come in the whole restaurant with their family and one but that value of that nft can you can set up a smart contract where now once a month um there's actually a dining section for whoever brought that nft and that nft would start to accumulate dollars because that person might sell it to this person that person might sell it to that person all the time you get paid for each transaction and when they come in you get gain more business and make no more more notoriety but the nft space with your business probably could work in a lot of different ways yeah, and shit yeah, like yeah. That in it, it really will open your mind like i'm i'm gotta, i'm too I gotta invested get, i gotta get with y'all yeah. me I too get my notebook out we, we again because <laughs> it's the you, you read you see it you see the nft you see crypto so much i'm a little bit invested in the crypto space don't know much about it trying to ed educate myself on it nft space i'm confused i'm not gonna lie nft you know, is a non-fungible token really meaning a digital memorabilia like a digital baseball card of course it scales up in so many different variables but that's pretty much what it is a digital baseball card that that acquires some some money so the people People of influence is usually the people that really makes money off of these NFTs. Like a regular person has to have something that has extreme value for somebody like us to really want to buy an NFT from a regular person. You know what I mean? That's why you have Jay-Z with these the punk NFTs and all that shit because these people with this power and these names behind it drives the price up. Yeah, it drives the value Autom up. Automatic, like but like you're else. Chef JJ, so you have some, like, you have them value. Exactly. You know? yeah. you're, the, you're, uh, you're one of the biggest rappers in the chef game right now. <laughs> right? I, I mean right? that by the influence. You're like so little baby of the chef stuff. It's the same thing. It's the same it's thing. The same no, thing. no, no. I, I, I'm listening. Yeah, wow. my my brain is turning now. Like, okay, and you could be a step ahead of the game of, of the game inside of your world. So you're saying I could do like an NFT cookbook? Oh yeah, you could yeah. do an NFT cookbook. You could do an NFT experience with JJ. You could there's so many things you could okay. do an NFT. And it's NFT like a cookbook, tradable. Like, an NFT cookbook actually will be crazy. Because you could do an NFT cookbook and actually have you showing people how to do cooking lessons in that NFT, digital NFT cookbook. So now it bring you to life within that cookbook. Like it's... It's a lot. Okay. You do. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. Off, off camera, I'm pretty sure we can have a discussion. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> See, we got to catch her up too. Cause I know. I, I keep trying. And I send her emails every day, text messages of like links and stuff. She's like, this is too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's why I'm glad I, I understand it because I could push it off on to somebody else because I understand it. So now I, I need this done. I need this done. What's the new? All right, cool. Because yeah. it just bombard you so much. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, all right, fuck this whole shit, man. I don't want, it's, it's a lot. But it's simple. 
It if you, is if, and if you good with numbers, which you must be because you own the business, you're going to get it off top. Okay. Yeah. I want to switch real quick. Tell us me about black investors. Oof. I'm just saying, I feel like we constantly hear about the consumer spend black people, right? We have so many rich black people, entertainers, blah, blah, blah. Two trillion in buying right? power. Right. Why are you putting me on a spot? Nah, because you, because Did somebody you, hit you up? Did you see something? No, no. It's a big beef I got, I have actually. No, you know why? I'm going to tell you no, this. I didn't know because anything. I know a lot of, or I've heard of a lot of restaurants, particularly in Harlem, right that go under they're not doing well for whatever reason and then they have like white investors right cool fine i'm not like mad you got a rothschild like i'm not it, mad no no it's actually you know, i put it like this like i got hit up from travis scott dope like six seven like eight nine months ago like right before the pandemic mm-hmm. longer than that mm-hmm. his team through my attorney mm-hmm and he was like, they were going to invest in a fast casual restaurant that doesn't need the money. Mm-hmm. Right? Big. They got over 250 locations. He's going to put a good amount of money into them. He said, no, don't invest in them. Invest in this guy. Mm-hmm. And this is before I was like, this is way before. Invest in this guy. His team was like, well, we'll give $10 million. I said, okay, let me. I got to get going on this. I don't have a fund manager. I don't have any of this stuff. But what do you, what do you, what do you want? And... I don't think, and and sometimes I wish if Tra- I think if Travis was involved, right. he would have said, "Hold on, I'm a, maybe I'm not gonna put ten here, maybe I put two, but reserve two million because I like this story. I see what this guy's doing, mm-hmm. and you guys, you're trying to put my money somewhere really quick, but hold off." Mm-hmm. And he wasn't involved because everybody has their teams built around them, and I see that a lot when it comes to Drake, LeBron. Um, they're all, you know, what did, what did the they want? Broken. What did they want? Yeah. What did they want? They didn't. They, they didn't know what they wanted. They just knew that his guy just knew this. He was friends with the founders that of this big new chain, and he wanted his money to go there. And they just took the call just because. Got it. They were never going to write the check. His team was never going to write the check to us. I, I think if Travis was like, "Yo, hold on, let me go eat the food." Right. Oh, sh- this what y'all right. doing? Right. Look around. Oh, this is the impact. Right. Oh yeah, I can, I, I'm, I'm in. Right. Right, and I think a lot of that, you know, I saw Drake investing in hot hot fried chicken spot. I'm oh like, yeah, Dave's bro. hot chicken. I'm like, bro, hot fried chicken that was done by a black woman. Do you even know that? I know Dave's is good, but That's Prince's crazy. would take your money. Like, you know what you could do if you built a team around Prince's hot fried chicken. Prince's hot fried chicken. Yeah, you've had it. No, but in maybe Nashville? we need to. Maybe we need to. Yeah, like. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe we need to find out if they do need an investor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I think some of these mom and pop spots don't have the infrastructure. And when a big investor that can write the check is like, hold on, let me write the check for you. But let me build the team around you to make sure you can scale is really an important part. But, yeah, that's why I commend Chris Paul. He's investing in black spaces, Slutty Vegan. He wrote a check, too. Love Slutty Right. He, he's He's out there. Um, and I've talked to his investment team at Pendulum and what they're doing. Uh, so it, it's something that I think from the wealth gap, mm-hmm. if 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 black celebrities or athletes, and I'm not telling you that these are bad investments. These investments are good investments. These yeah. places I would invest in, right? Mm-hmm. But we're to say, okay, who's crushing in this respective space and food and is black? 
You would go and invest in slut. You would knock on slutty vegans door. You would knock on field trips door. You would knock on other people's doors. Low lows. Low lows, right? You would knock on their doors and say, hey, I love your food. Are you looking for investors? Because when you start to get into the in high net worth people, most people are your lawyers or your, or your doctors or whatever are white and they're introducing you to their friends. Now, for me, I've been fortunate in this fundraising round that one of the guys I want to invest introduced me to Pendulum, right? And Pendulum was like, okay, these guys, you know, that's, that's Curtis Martin, that's Chris Paul, that's Robbie right, Robinson. Right, right. They were like, we only invest in black business, nice. right? And they have a $200 million fund. Nice. And they said it's a small fund to me on the phone. I mean, it is a small fund. I mean, like there's yeah, funds that are raising fund, two yeah. billion dollars. Yeah, you know. But those, but those, but those guys are those those guys are are in, are are partnering with a big, are are working with a bigger investment company called El Catterton, mm. who's the one of the largest investment play. Who does Peloton? Yeah, did Bar Taco. Did Mendocino Farms and like you know chopped and Dos Toros like so when you when you that's why I said when I when you go to the next round you you have to think like what Jim was saying like when you start talking to those guys you can't be talking hundred thousand two hundred thousand it sounds crazy right you got to be talking twos fours tens fifteens twenties that's not an opportunity for them no they can't make any money off it because when you talk about scalability right they're like okay I'm gonna invest here we got to get you to ten. Can you be a $20 million company? Right. Then from 20, can we get you to 50? Because they're thinking about their return. They're talking about their, they're trying to get 10X. Right. Always 10X. Right. Yep. right. See, my whole thing is the lack of execution within our community. And you seem to have executed all these goals mm-hmm. in the midst of achieving your dream. And that is very important inside of our black community for people to see because that's what we are lacking at big is we have so many ideas and dreams, but we never go through the motions to orders fulfill those dreams. And through all the adversity you went through and everywhere you had to go, all leading you back to Harlem and you fulfilling a dream of yours is, 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 is dope. The whole story is dope. Like this has probably been one of my favorite episodes that we've done thus far because of how adamant you are about your story and how resilient you was within your story to still be here and who you are and the person you are for feeding the community to be having the balls enough to put your fancy restaurant smack dead in the middle of all that love. Man, this is a great conversation. This like, is this has been good. This has been good today. I don't, we don't want to be. Here I don't today. even want to stop. But I know, you know we got to stop. Like a few minutes. We don't want to be here till tomorrow. I know. But, Definitely, definitely, JJ, you're definitely, definitely a dope person. I appreciate all you've been doing for the community. I, 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 I appreciate all you've been doing for yourself. I love your story. Yeah. I love your fight. Thank you for your being food mine. is great. Yes. Mining diamonds. And, and, and now I got to come to the restaurant. ASAP, Jack. Yeah, I, I would love to like have like six to eight months go by, and I'd love you to come back and talk about your growth because I really feel like it's going to accelerate. Yeah. I hope so. And I can't wait to go to the spot. You know London. so. It will. The spot in London. Oh yeah, the field call, trip in I'm London. I'm calling you first. You oh yeah, it. I'm going. <laughs> I, I just like London for some reason, and I want to eat there. I want to eat field trip. So, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, we could talk forever. Uh-huh. This is a great conversation, and I kind of feel like you know, I, like I met a cousin, 
you know something like that something right like that right yeah there's a lot definitely. of love in the room and definitely. stuff yes and um but this has been mining diamonds with chef jj please go out and support field trip yeah. please uh, if you're in harlem Take or if you're in trip. rockefeller center right. or if you're in long island city uh look it up appreciate y'all for watching mining diamonds follow big like Kia, subscribe big beef JJ. We got a Discord. Join us there. Yeah, yeah. We have a Clubhouse discussion weekly. It's going to go down. Just join shout us. Come to, on. Shout Peace. out to United Masters. Hell yeah. Yes.